This week's episode of Talking to Mod is sponsored by the Coffee Mod. Don't just dress like an ace face, drink like one too. They're also giving our listeners 15% off when you use the promo code MAGICMOD15. So what are you waiting for? How are we doing everyone and welcome to episode 25 of Talking to Mod. Now I've got some sad news, I'm going to be honest with you, today's episode is the last episode of Talking to Mod, well for this year anyway, we're going to start afresh in January and I just want to say thank you everyone who streamed it, watched it on YouTube, everything, been there for the lives on Instagram, really does mean a lot so thank you so much and I'm going to reward you in the new year with some fantastic guests believe me. So anyway let's get on with today. Today's guest is the legend from Shed 7 Rick Witter. I've known Rick for a while now and this is going to be a fantastic episode so ladies and gentlemen sit back relax and enjoy episode 25 of Talking to Mod. How are you, mate? All good? I'm all right, thank you. I'm here. With that, listen, that's all that matters. As if by magic, mate. How are you doing? You all right? I'm very well, thank you. It's been a while. I think the last time we saw each other was at uh, Brixton after your show. You did a bit of DJing after, wasn't it? Is that no. right? Yeah, that's very true. So when would that have been? That would have been 2021, was it? I, it's a long time ago, wasn't it? Because I remember... Um, I ended up missing my flight the next day back to Belfast. Oh dear, a big night. Yeah, I might have hit the sauce a bit too hard that night, mate, I tell you. (laughs) It's all fun and games at the time. Yeah, well, you're off that now, aren't you? Yes, I am, mate, yeah, about 18 months. Yeah, Yeah. congratulations, that's a a real good thing, that. I appreciate that, mate. It just got to the point where, I mean, you know yourself in this industry, it can be brutal if you let it take you, and I was sort of in that bit where it was just getting a bit too much, so... I decided, listen, it's either my career goes downhill or I have the best party of my lifetime. And I thought, no, this, this ain't it. I'm stopping it. And at the moment, it's worked wonders. Yeah, well, uh, following you on Twitter, I see that you put the, uh, the, the amount of days that you've been off it on there and, and, you know, proud of it. And it's great. It's great to see. Especially uh, if you've just had a kid as well. You know, that helps. Yeah, 100%, mate. I mean, listen, I used to have sleepless nights back in the past when I was partying, but now it's different sleepless nights <laughs> trying to get him to sleep. <laughs> but you're looking well, man. You're looking really well. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm uh, full of cold, to be honest with you. But yeah, we've been very, very busy. And I think being busy keeps you young, I think, you know. I mean, as, as soon as you kind of sit down and you've got months to do nothing, you, you do kind of seize up a little bit. So I'm, I'm really kind of pleased at the minute that we're, we're kind of back and we're, we're getting some good love. It's great. No, yeah, much deserved it, mate. As I said, that gig... I've seen you many a times, but there was something about that Brixton one. Maybe the venue, uh, it's just such an iconic venue. Such a shame that it's what's happened to it has happened, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, that gig was phenomenal. Absolutely loved it. Always very drafty backstage though, Ben. Always. (laughs) Is it really? I've been, I've been, 
I've been a couple of times backstage, but I never performed there. It's always been a venue I've wanted to perform, so I just think yeah. it's something about it. Well, we'll have to put that right, won't we, at some point. And I believe we might, if it's still there. I don't know exactly what's happening with it right now. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit bad, but um, we are, right now, this minute, working out a big tour for the end of next year, and that's one of the possibilities. So if it is, we'll have to get you up, won't we? I'm going to just write that down now, Rick, all right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Very kind of you. But how did you first discover music? When did music first come into your life, mate? At a very, very early age. I've got memories of, I mean, my dad always had music on. So wherever we were, if we were driving anywhere, I mean, we used to drive quite a lot. I was born in Manchester, moved away from Manchester when I was about five because of my dad's job. Uh, I don't know if you'd remember. How old are you, Ben? 33. Right, so would you remember a shop called Rumbelows? Rings a bell, rings a bell. Yeah, it's a bit like a Vision Eye Curry's kind of shop, you know. So had all sorts of technology yeah, stuff in that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Telly's fridge freezers. Anyway, my dad was an area manager for them, so he'd, he'd sort an area out, and then we'd have to move to a new area so he could troubleshoot there. So we moved to Torquay when I was about five, and then we moved to Whitley Bay when I was about nine. And then we moved to York when I was 11, at which point I started big school. So, you know, I started to... They, they moved on when I was about 16, but I wanted to stay in York. So we used to go on big car journeys a lot, visiting family and friends and things. So there'd always be music on. Um, I mean, his tastes are slightly different to mine. Uh, he used to like a lot of stuff like um, Klaus Wunderlich. He, he liked organ music, you know. So there was an awful lot of that going on. Uh, but discovering my own kind of music was probably when I was about nine. I used to like Howard Jones quite a lot. Brilliant. For him. Um, yeah. And then got into indie music, got into guitar music. I still, I do, I do say this a lot. I blame my older brother, really, for my love of guitar music, because he's four years older than me. Uh, and he was well into his Depeche Mode, Gary Newman, Einstein, and Neubau, and all of this real heavy electronic kind of synthy music. And because he was my four years older than me brother, I wanted to rebel against him, you know. So, I mean, my brother, you know, if he's about 11 and I'm seven and we're in the, in the living room watching telly and I sneezed, he'd tell me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and most times when you sneeze, you have to sneeze again quite quickly. It's a common occurrence. <laughs> I get told to shut up twice just for having a sneeze. So, you know, I always used to want to rebel against my older brother, even though I love him and we get on really well. So that kind of drove me to want to like guitar music. So I thank him for that for a start, you know. That's, that's a cool story. Listen, the story about sneezing, my, my missus is a bit like that. If I, if I end up coughing a bit too much and she's watching Grey's Anatomy or something, I just get that <laughs> stare as if to say, leave, leave the room. You know what I mean? But... I mean, obviously, similar to you, music played a, a part of me, like with my mum and dad listening to all sorts, right? And uh, But what would you say was your first ever album you went out and bought yourself? Well, I remember the first single I bought was Under the Moon of Love by Shawaddy Waddy. Oh, classic. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also remember getting uh, Pipes of Peace by, uh, was that Paul McCartney or was it Wings? Was it Wings. Was he still at that point? Was it Wings? Wings. Was it Wings? So I remember that. I used to love that. I used to put that on all the time. Um, so, yeah, you just kind of, you just, you get introduced to things. I mean, I mean, I'm mean, i not so much of a radio person these days. There's so many different stations. 
Um, but back in the day, you know, you'd listen to a particular station and, and that's where you got your, your knowledge from, really, until you started getting a bit older and hanging around record shops. Um, and I'm trying to think of the first ever album I got. It possibly could have been um, the first Howard Jones album, which was called Humans, Humans Lib or something. I can't actually remember what it's called. Um, but yeah, I used to have loads of posters of Howard Jones all over my bedroom when I was, when I was a young pup. Which, uh, if I ever bump into him, I'll tell him. I don't think he's aware of that. <laughs> well, I've I've got a confession now, mate. <laughs> I actually got on uh, my mum's, uh, my mum and dad's house back home, my family home. Uh, I had I actually had a picture of you on the wall, mate. Did you? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was never like I remember when I first told you, and I was going to tell like, well, sorry, when I first saw you at Brixton, I was going to tell you, but I thought. Nah, nah, just let the moment go, let it go. Yeah, but, uh, maybe on first meeting it might have been a bit too soon. Yeah, it would have been a bit weird, wouldn't it, to be honest. Now it's fine. fine. So, so what was it like waking up every morning and seeing my face? A bit, do you know what, right? I mean, I've woken up and seen worse. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. You were, in, you were in good company, though. Very good company. I had a lot of uh, The Who, Paul Weller, uh, Big Jam poster, and then I had yourself. And then it was more like a Britpop thing with Oasis and then your Stone Roses and a bit of suede, bit of everything. Like, yeah, classic, the, classic. Oh, mate, my bedroom was like, um, I don't know, it's like just your typical lad's room who loves music, man. Yeah. Like, whenever yeah, I brought... you, you've probably just described so many 90s bedrooms just in that one statement, haven't you? <laughs> probably, <laughs> mate. Oh, yeah, 100%, man. But of course, you being so clever with your magic, at any point, if you didn't want any of those posters on your wall, they would have just vanished, wouldn't they? Very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> I've been lucky that I haven't really fallen out or not like had a dislike into anyone. No one's really gone for a different way or a phase where I thought I might have to rip that off the wall now. So they've done all right to stay there. And here's the thing, right? My mum, my bedroom at my mum's is still the same as it was. It's is still it? got the posters. Wow, I like so, it. That's, wow. uh, yeah, she's very like, because it was my room, she doesn't like to touch anything. Oh, really? It's still pretty much the same, really? man. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> honestly. As soon as she turfed you out, it wasn't a spare bedroom. <laughs> it's, no, no, nothing like that. It's It stayed the same, which is brilliant. When I go back, it's always like, sounds weird, Rick, right? But when I go back, it is like going back in time. Yeah, well, wow, like, I can I remember when I took my little boy back home to my family home, and um, of course he was only—he was wasn't even one yet. But I remember he's—he was just looking around at all these posters, and I thought, "Listen, mate, when you grow up, you don't know it yet, but you're going to have the best knowledge of music." I'm telling you. Yeah, too right. Yeah, yeah. He, he, do you know what his first? He actually went to a gig, right? I'm, and his first gig was the Happy Mondays. Wow. I did a um, a Q and A with Alan McGee at. Alexandra Palace, that was it. I think it was wow. called, it was, I can't think what this festival was, but it was insane, honestly. And um, I didn't really know if he would like it, but as soon as the Mondays were on in the background, like he, he was looking and that, and it was brilliant, man, because we were just about to leave. And as we left, uh, Bez, Rowetta, Sean, they were all coming in and Bez come over because I recognise, I met him a few times. As you do on this journey, people yeah. know everyone. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. It was good to catch up with him. And uh, my little boy was just looking at his maracas. So Bez, <laughs> Bez gave it to Lonnie oh, for him to hold, yeah. the, gave him to hold the maracas and then um, obviously took them back when he went on stage. But he was just so 
like fixated by looking at Bez, just watching yeah. him dance about and that. And it's well, I, love, I love sharing that moment and, with my And boy. how old was he when that happened? It, it, do you know what, right? He weren't even, weren't even one. I think he'd be about probably eight or nine months, mate. But right. he was but, very... Well, he's obviously a really brave young lad because I see Bez even now and I, I shit myself. myself. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what? It was an early gig. I'm going to say that. He was... He was he was well behaved, although he did come off the tour bus or off the bus before he went on stage with this big bottle of like Patronum or whatever it is, some big yeah. bottle. And I thought, oh god, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> but... no, he, he is great as Bez. I, I'll always remember we played a festival. I think it was Stockton or somewhere northeast, uh, and they were headlining. We were on just before them, so we did our set, and then they went on and did theirs. Bez um, Bez was on stage for the first two songs, doing what Bez does, and we're kind of back of the stage watching uh, and then Bez came over to us after the second song and spent about three songs talking to us and we're thinking Bez shouldn't you be out there shouldn't you be out there doing what what you do and if, I know I have to, I'm getting a bit old now so I have to come up after a couple of songs and just relax a little bit but all the time he was there talking to us he was doing what he should have been doing out the front so there was no relaxing going on <laughs> Back there, as of else. <laughs> he is he is different class though, isn't he? He's yeah, such he's, a lovely bloke. He really is a lovely man, yeah. Have you this is to, uh, while we're talking on music and I mean of course we're gonna be talking about music, but we uh I saw do you remember Bad Manners, Buster Blood Vessel? Mm. So he was the first ever gig I ever went to when I was about fifteen. And I recently saw him in Belfast and I don't know, I mean, you'll probably see it. When you see someone you really like, right, and then you see them now and you just, like, I was a bit sad because he couldn't move around the way he did. Like, the last yeah. song he did was the can-can and he lifted his leg up and then you just saw the pain in his, in his oh, face yeah. and I was just like, oh. but, I mean, he only did an hour because he yeah. actually said, look, I can't, can't physically do any more. Wow. It was just so sad to see, man. Yeah, that is sad. But then on the other hand, fair play to him for making the effort. Oh, you know? Hundred I mean, percent. It's a difficult thing that I mean. I'm getting to. I'm fifty. I've just turned fifty-one, and uh, you know, I think we're pr pretty much in the prime now of what we do. I think, I think in our twenties we were still learning a lot, and we were probably too cool for school through the nineties, where we wanted everything to be perfect. And you know, I think we've grown up a lot, and now we we just appreciate everything that's happening. And as long as it's happening well, then it's just a great memory all of a sudden. So you, you know, we never ever take anything for granted anymore. And I think that shines through. You know, the tours we do now are just probably the best tours we've ever done. To, to say that we are getting on a bit, so to speak. You know, I've still got the hips. You know, and they don't lie. I tell you. <laughs> Brilliant, man. Listen, you, you don't lose it, mate. You're born with it, eh? You keep doing what you've got to do, man. Well, this is it. Because, you know, I remember in lockdown... Mick Jagger, who's now 80, I think maybe two or three years ago, he'd had this heart operation in lockdown and he posted this video about five days after having this heart operation. Um, and he was in a dance studio and he was doing all of his Mick Jaggerisms. So he must have been about 77 at this point, about three years ago. And I'm watching it thinking, right, both of my granddads died when they were about 74, 75. So not only did they die before what you are now, but my memories of my granddads of visiting them was 
relatively old looking men with grey hair and a brown cardigan and a stand up ashtray and stooping over the chair and we'd arrive and they'd go, all right, son, get me a cup of tea. And it's like, wow, you're three years older than my memories of my granddad then. I mean, how, I mean obviously wealth and, and stuff helped. Of course. But, but what, an incredible, what an incredible human Mick Jagger is, you know. Have, have you heard their latest album they brought out? I've heard a couple of the singles off it. I should really give it a bit more time of day. We've just been so busy doing other things that I've not really had a chance to sit down and listen properly because I like to listen to things properly. Um, however, I did put a tweet out when the first song came out, which was called Angry, wasn't yeah. it? And I thought someone should do like a, a weird Al Yankovic comedy bird and call it Hangry. And <laughs> the video could be somebody who's getting really cross at Mick Jagger because they're really hungry. And then Mick could be going, don't get hangry with me. Uh, <laughs> Listen, you're on to something now. Let's do it. Me and you, we'll do it, man. <laughs> do you, what, was, what, was the, what would you say your first gig was? As a, I take it, in your teens, went going watching music? Uh, the first gig I went to see? Yes. Um, well, I went to a few kind of pubs around York to watch local acts, but the first proper band, this is a bit of a claim to fame, the first proper band I went to see involved a coach trip to London from York, which took about five hours just to get there. But I went to see the Stone Roses at Alexandra Palace in 19... <sighs> which was the big, the big gig they did after Spike Island, because I'd just missed out on Spike Island. So that was great. I remember that. I remember them not playing particularly well and the sound wasn't great, but I just remember the thousands of people in that room all just having the best time ever. And, and that's, what made, that's what made a lot of the Stone Roses gigs what they were, because there were events and it was the kind of, it was all in it together and this is our thing, you know, it was a special time, especially at that time when music was how it was. It was a lot of dance and Stock Aitken and Waterman stuff going on. So it was, it was really a case of, clinging on to that band, you know. I mean, that, the Stone Roses were the reason why we as a, as a band and as a group of friends needed to pull our socks up because we were already in bands at this point together, but under different names. So because of the Stone Roses album in 89, that's what made us want to form Shed 7 and think, right, let's actually start taking this more seriously. We've got a lot to live up to there. I mean, that... Brings me on nicely, because I was going to ask, obviously, heroes play a big part in your childhood growing up. I mean, for me, obviously, it's your obvious Tommy Cooper, Paul Daniels, Paul Weller, believe it or not. Um, I mean, everyone knows that. But, I mean, for yourself, mentioning the Stone Roses, they, it's clear to see they played a massive part in your career. The Stone Roses and the Smiths, for me personally, but then we, do, we did grow up loving a lot of alternative indie music. So the Pixies, uh, you know... But then all your obvious is that, you know, the Who, the Stones, the Jam, you know, all, all of this stuff just held together and just there's so much great stuff out there. But, yeah, I mean, there was a group of us at school. So when we were, when we were about 15, 14 and 15, we all got into the Smiths. Uh, and there was maybe about six of us and the rest of the school just took the opinion of the Smiths like a lot of people who don't get it do and they just think it's miserable music for miserable, miserable people. So we were always the outcasts at school, but I loved that. I always used to love that. I've just noticed, sorry, I was answering your question somebody's just put a question, is that a birdcage behind me? But you can quite clearly see it's a really cool little shelf. Oh, yeah, you want to get your mince pies tested. <laughs> and it's got lovely Christmas lights that I've put up today around it. 
I don't. The missus will want one of them, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's not a birdcage. And it's not right. a shit wheel. Cause it looks a bit like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw, I saw this um, this clip of Johnny Marr and I think he was, I can't think, well, he, he was doing the guitar riffs from, I think it was this charming young man, uh, this charming man. and uh, A recent thing. Yeah, I put it on recently. I mm. think it was from a documentary he did a little while ago, right? And I was absolutely blown away, right? And then um, I had to share it. And then Damon, uh, badly drawn boy, sent me a clip and said, you've got to watch this, where he's got all the pedals and the loops and that. And it was like when I first saw him, my, my first ever magic trick, I was gobsmacked at what, I mean, everyone knows Johnny Marr is like an absolute genius with a guitar. What he can do is just absolutely incredible. He makes it look effortless. But this clip of him doing this, I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Honestly, it's but insane. It is incredible. But bear in mind as well, we're talking when the Smiths first started, it's 1981, 1982, and it was just so different from everything else that was going on at the time. That, you know, just to have the, the bravery, really, to just stand out like a sore thumb and believe in what you're doing. You know, it, that, that's the kind of thing that I absolutely love. And it's the same with the Upper Mondays that we've already touched on. Um, their first album came out in 1985, Squirrel and G-Man, and it's just, it's an incredible album. But if you imagine what else was coming out that year, it was oh. just so different from everything else. So you've got all your 24-hour party people, but a lot of the songs off that album, like Cuff Dam. Do you know what Cuff Dam, the song's about? Or I, do, you, do you know why they called it that? I don't know why. I did, used to do a lot of Q&As with Sean and that, but we never got down to dissecting each song, but I'm interested to know. Well, just, I mean, this is what a genius Sean Ryder is, because he's obviously just written whatever words he's written. I don't know what the song's actually about, but he's decided to call it a certain thing, but then decided to switch the two words round to read them backwards. So Cuff Dam, if you could work out what Cuff Dam is backwards. Let me write this down. Ah, okay. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty. That is, I had to write that down because it's in front of me. But it's, uh, I, ne I never actually knew that. It's, it's, it's pretty cool, isn't it? That is mad, literally mad. Yeah. But, um, know, but uh, while this is happening, Madonna's going like a virgin, you know what I mean? That's a good song, I don't mind that. Well, don't get me wrong, it's not that I don't like that song. It's just that's what the music was. It was all pop, you know. And for him to be doing that and for Morrissey to be writing about our oh. music, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's insane, yeah. incredible. What, what, similar, what you just said, though, like you loving bands coming out being totally different, I relate to that massively. I mean, when people come to me, like youngsters, well, they don't come to me personally like I'm Alan McGee or something, nothing like that, but they say, oh, w w what sort of advice would you give me and this for getting gigs? And I say, just don't do what other people are doing. Mm. Find your own niche. You know, similar to me, I've gone for the mod scene in, in the magic, you know, and it's worked yeah. for me. You know, don't copy what everyone else is doing. Isn't it? You're doing something different. Mm. You know? Oh, 100%. No, you know? so, so basically, a lot of people might think Shed 7, oh, yeah, Britpop, and yeah, one of those bands that play guitar stuff. But believe me, in 1990, 91, 92, when we were writing things like Dolphin, before we got a record deal, we're from a place called York, 
And York's not renowned for a, a, a rich musical heritage, really, history. So we honestly thought, when the Stone Roses and the Mondays kind of were coming to, to their end in 92, and it was all getting a bit ravey and dancey and acidy, we honestly thought we were the only band in the country with this. So we were think we were swanning around York, but we were we were classed as a bit as a bit weird, because York has a lot lots of kind of oldie worldie pubs and there's lots of folk acts that play in front of open fires and things. You know, there wasn't and a lot of funk kind of bands. And all of this is great and good, but we liked what we liked. You know, so we'd put on gigs and we'd be a little bit different and a bit weird and the hair was a bit different to everyone else's and all this stuff. So we thought we were the only band in the country really doing this in 92, 93, but then obviously we released our first record and then you suddenly start realising that there's, there's a Blue Tones from down south doing a similar thing and there's a Cask from Liverpool doing a similar thing and there's a Sleeper and there's an Echo Belly. And that's obviously what all came together at a big head and became the Britpop thing. You know, I'd like to think we have a little bit of our own originality thrown in there in, in, in places. Oh, 100%. And by the way, them names you've just reeled off, timeless, similar to yourself, Rick. I'm not just saying it because you're there. The music, good music will always stand the test of time. And people will always listen to it, man. Yeah, well, this is it. And, and at the time when you're doing it, you don't really have that in your thoughts. So, again coming to our 30th anniversary since our first record came out, it's nice to be able to look back and feel we were part of something, but we've still got so much more to give. It's great the fact that we're still here and we're about to release new material that I think is up there with anything we've done after 30 years. So, you know, it's nice, nice to get a little bit older and, and be able to reflect without being annoyed. <laughs> And by the way, the debut album you brought out, you know, 94, if mm. I'm not mistaken. I mean, yeah. 94, what a year it was for music as well, by the way. I mean, mm. with Oasis bringing their debut album out and, you know, as they say in Rome, the rest is history. Mm. But I mean, that must have been an incredible moment for you and the band as well to bring out, you know, your first album. And how did that feel, man? Well, it was, it, it was such a whirlwind. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was obviously just really exciting. But you're thrown into this thing where you don't really have much time to stop and think about what's going on. My dad always used to say to me, you've got to stop and smell the roses every now and again. Which, funnily enough, is a lyric on one of our new songs on the album. Almost Ooh. like a to me, Dad. Um, Love that. Uh, because, you know, you, there's no kind of... You can't stop and have a month off, put it that way. You've just got to get on that roller coaster. And it is a, like a roller coaster, literally. You know, the ups and the downs that we've gone through over our, our career is incredible, really. And when you are really down, you never really see any way out. But then, weirdly, life happens and things change. Um, and then suddenly you're on the top of the world. So this is another reason why right now, this minute, we're all absolutely loving what we're doing because everything just seems to be connected at the minute for us, which is a great, a great feeling to have. But yeah, for me, the first radio play was just amazing. I remember we were, we were in a, a people carrier driving somewhere on a motorway and we were kind of told you might get played on their show. I can't remember which show it was now. But I do remember 
all of us loving hearing our first single being played on the radio and being introduced. I can't remember who did it. That's annoying. And then the first Top of the Pops, always ace. Apart from that, I always used to have to sing live on Top of the Pops. Um, the producer was a bit rock and roll. So, you know, there were certain bands where he'd say, look, the band can mime, but I want the, the, vocal, the vocals to be sung properly. And I, I never had a problem with that because that's what I do. Mm. The only problem I had with it was, and we did Top of the Pops about 10 times. The only problem I had with, with, was it uh, was the fact that because the rest of the band could just mime, they were in the bar from 9am just getting tired. <laughs> you didn't actually do the performance side of it about seven at night. So, so they were all quite happy because, you know, you just do that and pretend. Whereas I had to hold it back. <laughs> That's right. So if anyone's interested to go on YouTube or wherever and, and, and watch some of our old performances on Top of the Pops, I think they, they can be seen somewhere. You'll notice that every now and again, I'll go slightly out of tune just to prove that I'm singing it properly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm actually going to dig them up in a minute and have a look at that after this. That's brilliant, man. Have you got a favourite song of yours? Like, what's one that you love to play? Like, you really just feel it? Well... I mean, no, you've got no, so many. That, that, don't no, get me wrong. Timeless. No, it's difficult to pick one song, you know, because they're all my babies, so it's difficult, really. But, you know, there's certain songs that we couldn't not play live. Um, oh. so, so Chasing Rainbows, without a doubt. I mean, we, we, we wouldn't get out of the building if we didn't play <laughs> at the end of the game. And that, that is always... That is always a big moment. We always play it last. We always extend the outro and we, we drop out and let the crowd play it. So if you play it in front of 4,000 people and, and you just stood watching 4,000 people singing it, looking like they're having the best time in their life. I mean, that, and, and we're lucky enough to get that moment. If we go on tour and do 26 dates, you're getting that moment 26 times in, in a month, you know, and it's, it's just such an amazing feeling and difficult to come down off, you know. Oof. And, you know, there's times where we'll come off stage and we'll be in the dressing room and 10 minutes later you can still hear people outside the venue stood there singing it. And it's like, well, you know, this is just some, some words I wrote when I wasn't very happy at all, which, which makes it even more poignant. Uh, but, yeah, there's that. I mean, but I always like the new stuff. I like, I like it when we've written new things. And I also like it when nobody's heard what we've just done. So I'm in my prime at the minute because... Yes, we have released about four or five new songs off this new album that's coming out. Um, um, but I'm excited for people to hear the rest of the album that nobody's heard yet. And, and it's, it's a good buzz because I'm excited for that reason. But it's also, it, we can kind of sit and chill for a while because as soon as we release it, it's everybody's. And then we'll suddenly start being asked when's the next one coming out. And then the work starts all over again. Sorry, I've just, I just keep getting waylaid here because somebody's just said somebody needs to put some trill in that birdcage. It's becoming a thing, this. Best. Listen, birdcage. You're going to have to start selling them on the merch table now. <laughs> or get some... a T-shirt with them on it. That is a great idea. Shed seven birdcages. Now, that's probably never been that's done it. before, has it? All I'm going to say is, can I have 60%? <laughs> well, we'll have to talk. We'll talk. <laughs> I don't really see many handkerchiefs sold on merch stalls, do you either? No, where did I see? I saw one once somewhere, and 
I saw it on a website, and when they come here, they didn't have it. And it was the reason I wanted it is to do a trick with, because obviously handkerchiefs, brilliant. I can't think who it was. I want to say someone like the specials or something. They had a scar no. one, but I'm not sure. But um, no, it is something I'm, that you don't really see. That. I'm thinking of doing that because we, we recently raised a song called Starlings, and lots of people say that it's, it brings them to tears. So it made me think, well, why don't we sell handkerchiefs on the on the bill? We could have. You know, when your granddads used to, or when you were a young kid, you'd be given a handkerchief and it'd have your initials on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could have an S and a 7 and then just have a little starling flying off, couldn't we, Mate, you, you, you've got it all sussed out. As you keep saying, you're in your prime and these ideas <laughs> just keep coming out, mate. I'm loving it. Well, I am full of cold as well. I could do with one right now. With RW, get me RW handkerchiefs out, yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go. Use it, sign it, sell it for double. Boom. There you go, my DNA all over it. <laughs> Have you got a favourite venue? Listen, I know I'm not going to keep you for too much longer. We're going to wrap it up in a bit because I don't like seeing you with your cold, man. And there's nothing worse than chatting to someone when you've got a cold. I'm enjoying this chat. Don't you worry about that. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Well, we'll stay for another three hours then. <laughs> Have you got a venue that you just love going back to? Right, so again, I'm asked that quite a lot. And yes, there is venues that are just amazing. But I always look at it more like how fortunate and we are as a band and how, how amazing our fan base is and the people who come to see us. Because we can play, I'll just randomly pluck a city out of the sky here, so I'm not picking on them, but we could play Blackburn on a Monday, rainy Monday night. And in that room for two hours, it's just the best party ever. It doesn't That's matter. We could play in London on a Saturday and it's the same. So we are very lucky. Um, but yes, I mean, Glasgow Barrowlands, you just can't go wrong with Glasgow Barrowlands. I was going to say to you, no word of a lie, I was going to say to you, before I said that, I was going to say, right, I'm going to write a name down of a venue. And the first one I was going to put was Barrowlands, right? And the reason is, everyone I've had on here has all said the Barrowlands. Right, and a lot of people have asked me or, or spoke to me about the Barrowlands and said, "Oh, have you ever been there?" I've never been there, right? Until um, February the fourth this year, I played it with the Brian Jonestown Massacre, right? Oh. Um, mate, I was like that. Oh my god! Like, there's something about that venue, and I don't know what it is, but it's absolutely magical. Yeah, it really is. I mean. I mean, it's got a lot of history about it. Um, it's got a spring-loaded dance floor, which helps, I think. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just an incredible, an incre yeah, it's magic. You know, it really is. Um, I we've played that venue probably into double figures, um, but I do remember a, a while ago. Uh, you know, they've got all of those stars on the ceiling. I, I think I know what you're going to say. Well, I was told by somebody who was working there, I can't, this, this, I'm probably talking about 12 years ago here, um, that they gave David Bowie one of these stars. So I said, well, if you're giving David Bowie one, can I have one? And he, gave, he, he got one down off the roof for me. So, so you got, got one? I've got one of them stars, yeah. Oh, and see, I never knew that because the bloke told me as well, like we were talking and this, this bloke was... I wish I remembered his name, but I can't. But he actually had the tattoo on his arm saying Barrowlands. I, I said, wow. He went, mate, 
this is our life. This is a way of life. Yeah. Like, you know, the mod culture is like the Barrowlands is a way of life, right? Yeah. And I, he was telling me, he said, right, can you see up there? There's a star missing. Right, yeah. He's like, David Bowie. And I was like, what? <laughs> like that, right? And then I was telling all the boys, and there's, there's a couple right high up in the dressing room, and I was thinking, should I take one down? But, like, I, I, bet I didn't have the heart, but, I mean, I didn't realise. So you've got one as well. I've got one too, yeah. I mean, if, that, That's got to be just you and David Bowie then, surely? Well, I'm sure others have probably been in there and done what you didn't want to do. I'm sure. I that, definitely didn't. I definitely didn't. But I'm, well, I'm, saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying you did, but I'm sure other bands have. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like I'm in some type of select club. However, not, we, we did play it in October this year, but we played it a couple of years ago. Um, and we were inducted into their Hall of Fame, which is nice. Oh, mate. I mean, have you got one second? Then I'll go and show you my trophy. Yes, yes. Go on, there. man. Just yeah, admire man. the birdcage. I <laughs> admire the birdcage. There's a couple of plant pots on there, but I see why. I see why someone said it's a birdcage. Oh, this is going to be mega. What's... That is some birdcage. Listen, if you're going to a Shed 7 gig next, they're going to have that shelf on a t-shirt here we go right here we go sorry so there's me there's Don't me sorry start. oh mate <laughs> brilliant so there's just low hundreds and hundreds of these on the ceiling isn't there yes and then that alone just makes it so if you're on the stage well wherever you are in the venue but on the stage as well if you just look up oh, it's magical Hundreds of these in different colours. There's such something about it, you know. I mean, it's just that, but it's it's part of history, isn't it? Not off, mate. That, and then we were presented with this, which is nice. Oh, get on that! So that it's the uh, Barrowland Hall of Fame 2021 Shed Seven. Which is nice, mate. Isn't it? Mate, like... that is class. Stick it up on the birdcage. <laughs> <laughs> That is absolutely class. But I mean, wow. I mean, when I went there, everyone from the staff to the security were just like the nicest people I've ever had the pleasure of being at a venue with. I mean, similar to you, I've obviously, you've been to hundreds, thousands more venues than I have, but I've been so lucky to have played in the venues I have with my act. And, you know, it makes it so, you feel more at home and relaxed when everyone around you works at that venue just, you know, makes you feel at home, really, and the Barrowlands yeah. for me. It's it's really important to treat people how you want to be treated yourself. I think as well. So for me, I always find it. You know, you you see security guards who their job for the for the afternoon and into the evening and the night is to stand at the the end of a corridor, just mm. obviously stopping people trying to get back. You know, so I'll, I'll always make the time and the effort to say, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a bottle of water or something? You know, because they just stood there all night just saying, no, have you got a pass? Have you got a pass? No, have you got a pass? So, you know, they have a cup of tea while they're saying that, can't they? Oh, 100%. There was actually that one of the security guys at the Barrowlands was, I wish I could remember his name, but he was actually in the circus, right? He was actually a clown. Right, so every time I saw him, I went, "Oh God, is this clown?" You know, mucking about, right? But he was telling me how his dad was like something to do with, I think it was Sippo's or something, and he was like one of the first clowns with Sippo's circus. It was, right. mate, it was incredible. I felt like I learned something, right? But every time I got my props, he went, 
oh, you're going to do that trick, are you, with the milk jug and all that? Yeah, classic and all that. And I'm thinking, I ain't even told him what I'm going to do yet, but he's eyeing <laughs> up my props going, oh, right. that'll go down well, mate. Oh, you got you got <laughs> a couple of decks of cards there. Yeah, brilliant, mate. Do you need a Sharpie? Do you need a Sharpie? <laughs> oh, all right. so, but if you do, I'll be on the side of the stage. Just give me a call. Do you need anyone to help you out on the stage? I was like, you'll be all right, mate. You, you just stay there. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Lovely bloke, but he really so, wouldn't get part of it. So is he from London as well? No, I can't do a Glasgow accent, to be fair. It's like, I don't, listen, my accents are atrocious. I'm trying to do a Belfast one for living over here. And like every time, who was I speaking to the other day? And they went, do you notice you're using a few like words that they use over there? And I don't mean it. Like they use right. we a lot as in, oh, do you want a wee cup of tea? Or look at the wee man and that. And yeah. I was on the phone to my dad and he's like, whoa, hang on. Listen, 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 listen. Don't forget where you're from, son. Yeah. All right. Don't yeah. go using that lingo around me. <laughs> <laughs> so um i went to belfast late last year uh it's been a while since we've been um and i absolutely loved it such lovely people we went to a couple of bars and restaurants after i went there with my family well i went there to film mastermind that's what i went there for oh because uh, they do that at the bbc studios in Belfast. they do yes <laughs> Uh, and then we, we thought we'd make a long weekend out of it. And we had such an amazing time over there. Went to the uh, Titanic Museum and all that. Oh, brilliant, man. Did you and, do a Black Cab tour? No. Right. Got, I've maybe got a Black Cab, just normally. But I didn't have a story, did it? Well, uh, too many tours. I don't want to go in a tour in a Black Cab. What's that all about? <laughs> so the Black Cab tours, they, they're like world famous over here so they do um obviously you get in a black cab and it takes you all around the roads and i mean in belfast it's still you know diverted by two mm -hmm. different religions as yeah. you know we all know um not yeah. to go too much into it and then uh so basically these cab tours go all the way around and tell you everything about the troubles you know you go past the peace wall you go past the it's, it's amazing and, wow. and my partner's um dad he does them and uh i remember when i first come over here he took me on the tour and um there's crumlin jail crumlin road jail or gallows they called it um about five minutes away from here uh we went in there and it, do you know what the, the the tour was amazing you go in all the all the jails and that and then there's this bit where you go in this one room and there's a there's a like a a table and a chair and then you move the door and you go through to this bit where there's just a bed and there's a bookcase and then they move the bookcase and there's just a rope the gallows right Ooh. so that well, would be where you would go through. And well, I think, if my memory serves me right, they, the last person they executed there was something like 19... I want to say 1973 or 1972, which, if you think about it, that ain't that long ago yeah. that they did something like that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But, um, I mean, the history here is... is well, listen, that sounds right up my street, that. So next time I'm over, I'll definitely have to go and do that. Listen, hook me, uh, drop me a message and I'll sort it out for you. Trust me, because yeah. it's, uh, that we literally like always every time you want to get a cab or something, you put your hand out. It's like, no, 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 I'm doing a tour. I'm doing a tour that they're, they're flat out over here with the tours. And it's well, uh, they're really good tours as well. Really yeah, good, man. Well, definitely be up for that next time. So, yeah, well, it, uh, so you actually live there full time, do you? 
Yes, at the moment. I mean, like most of my shows are still back over in yeah. in, in England, but I've yeah commute all the time. But I mean, I've been quite lucky. I've fallen in with a, a comedian over here called uh, Kieran Bartlett, and um, he's he's um, he does a podcast called No Blasters, right? And I was I'm one of them people. I wouldn't say a chancer, but I like to. I mean, I have no manager. I just I just. I thought I'd try my luck here and I messaged him and said, I'll see you like magic. Like I'll listen to your podcast a lot. I think I might be a good guest. And uh, I didn't hear much. And then I did a stand up comedy gig at the empire here, which is a lovely venue, beautiful venue. And um, I did my first stand up show and word got back to him that I did a, a, a very good job. So I went on his podcast and the podcast actually come out today, did it three weeks ago. And, uh, he was blown away by it so much so that he asked if I wanted to support him at the SSE arena in Belfast. Oh, and wow. uh, I did that last Friday. And right. <laughs> you, like you said a minute ago about coming off the stage and, you know, when you hear the people like singing yeah. the song back 10 minutes after I walked off yeah. that stage and I was like, that was incredible. No drug I've ever taken has come back to like that. That's the most amazing. Like that's the biggest venue in Northern Ireland. Do you know what I mean? That holds, oh, God knows how many thousand. And for a magician yeah. to stand on there. Yeah. Mate, well, I mean, it's very difficult to come down off things like that, though, isn't it? Definitely. Luckily, yeah. there was a set of stairs at the back, though. <laughs> no, but a hundred percent, Rick. Like the same. Same, similar to you. Like I've, I, I could never experience. I mean, I was in a tribute band once actually, and we lasted one gig. We were actually an Oasis tribute band, right? And then COVID hit. Right. Like, that's that's another story. But I've never experienced. You know, I can't even imagine how it feels standing on that stage, taking it all in while everyone's singing. You know, like going for gold or something like that. That must be. Well, like, I mean, you've summed it up already. But I mean, I am more interested in who you played in Oasis. Tony McCarroll. <laughs> no, no. So I'll, I'll tell you quickly while you're here. So this this lad come up to me and said, "Oh, you like Oasis, don't you?" I went, "Yeah." He said, "Well, we actually are an Oasis tribute band, and they were called um, Live Forever, right?" And he said, "Our our lead singer's got. A, he's doing a lot of his solo dates. Would you come in for a rehearsal?" And it was in Worthing. My sister lives down in Worthing, so I went down there, went to this uh, studio. He said, what do you want to sing? I said, listen, you, I know every song. You play it and I'll sing it. And they thought, oh, we'll catch him out here and that. And they started playing like Shock the Lightning or something. And I literally knocked it out of the park. And he went, fucking hell, like, what are you doing next Saturday? I went, nothing. He's like, do you want a gig? So we did the gig, right? And I brought my partner, Nadine. And I say now, it was in this pub, right, on the back streets of Brighton. It was the moodiest setup, right? And there was like all these, like, I don't know, like football thugs, as you like to say. They were lovely people, but they were all yeah. like, shit, I don't know whether to look at him and all that, right? Yeah. Like, there was a lot of activity going on and everything. And then we got up there, we played all these songs, and, and I'm like, come on, what, what do you want to fucking hear that, you know, you're getting involved with it? Yeah. And the only one they wanted to hear was Wonderwall, right? Out of all the songs we were singing, they're like, when are you going to play Wonderwall? Like, you know, like, here's Wonderwall. And then they went, can you play it again? <laughs> we're like, nah, that's enough. But... <laughs> It was, uh, obviously, I played Liam. <laughs> you right. Um, the, the reason why I was interested is because quite a few years ago, I, I ended up DJing somewhere in Manchester. I um, can't remember what it's called, but it's quite a big venue with loads of different rooms in. And it was like a, 
it was like a festival of tribute acts, but for some reason they asked me to, the real me, they didn't even ask somebody who was pretending <laughs> to be me to go and DJ, they asked the real me. And I think the real Clint Boom was there as well. So we were the only two real people. You should have both swapped places. He could, could have, have been you, you could have been him. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, so I remember being kind of backstage in this big communal dressing room area and there's three Liams over there because there's about four different boys. <laughs> and then there was two bloody strokes over here and there was three Happy Mondays. And it's funny because even though the backstage, it's not Liam, it's some bloke called Gary who's pretending to be Liam. But the backstage with the parka on and the hair, walking around like that. And it's like, Gary, oh, Gary. Right, oh, kid. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I think one of them kind of saw me and slipped out of character because I think he got a bit excited that he was seeing me. <laughs> so he slipped out of the Liam uh, and became Gary for five minutes, which was quite nice. Quite a nice, quite a nice moment. <laughs> Brilliant, man. But I mean, listen, I've, we know we've, you've got the new album coming up soon next year. I'm looking forward to it. But what does the next 12 months hold for you and the band, mate? Well, so 2024 is our 30th anniversary since our debut album came out. So we are going to be very busy. We've been, we've been throwing a lot of info out there over the past few months. So we're kind of cautious of not being overkill. So, yeah, the album's going to come out the first week of January, the 5th, which is amazing, really, to, to be celebrating our 30th year and releasing a brand new set of songs in the first week of that year is a pretty Brilliant, amazing. man. So, Brilliant. Uh, and then we've got loads and loads going on next year, and we're going to drip feed the information just so that it's not too overwhelming, because to be fair, we're doing that much that I keep forgetting what we're doing. So, you know, I keep having to be emailed and told, where, where are you? You're supposed to be doing this now. So, you know, so just keep an eye on our socials and uh, you'll find out But the whole year is going to be very busy. Well, listen, I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds for you, mate, because I, as I can, you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing the new album. As you said, leaked a few, played some, released some of the mm -hmm. new songs from it and I'm loving what I'm hearing and I can't wait to see it being played live, mate. And I, I won't forget if you ever do play Brixton Academy. <laughs> I'm your man, mate, all right? Okay, mate, yeah. Deal. Well, thank but, you, Ben. No, thank you for, for joining me, Rick. And um, I'm, I hope you get better soon, mate. But thank you. Don't it's been... Listen, imagine if I just pulled one out like that. That's what I should have done. Could have set this right up, couldn't we? <laughs> but listen, enjoy the rest of your evening. Have a fantastic rest of your week. And thank you so much for joining me, mate. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me on, mate. Good man. Look after yourself. See you soon, Rick. See you in a bit. Bye. Bye, mate. Bye-bye. And there we go. What a fantastic episode that is. I told you. Now, once again, thank you everyone who's listened and been with us from the very beginning. All that's left for me to say is have a fantastic Christmas and an even better New Year. And I will see you on the other side. Thank you for your support. Let's go.